because it's too sweet and I don't want to leave. I'm going to just let you know right now if if that's the anointing that Taylor went to because she got engaged and she's going to sing songs like that. <laughs> Good Lord, help us when they get married. Jesus, help us. I'm about to lay on the floor over there somewhere and just yell, y'all can have church. I'll, I'll be at Shelmet for 11. I'm going to just lay right here. Man, that was powerful. Amen. But he liked it. He put a ring on it, and we get the benefit of it. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to just jump straight into this. I have two things I want to give you first. There's no slide for it. But, guys, take your phones out. Ladies, take your phones out for your guys. March 3rd and 4th is our men's retreat this year at Lion King. Again, same place as last year. Hopefully it's the same weather, nice and cold, in Jesus' name. But if not, it's okay. I'll, I'll, it'll still be good because Jesus will be there. But y'all do know the weather in heaven is like 44, right? It just stays at 44. The sun is the, is the light, so we know it's going to be sunshine, but it's going to be cold. At least where I am. I don't know about you, your, your, your zip code in heaven, but mine's going to be cold, okay? Amen. But, but so you can be separated. I, I, I hope, and this is total, like, total speculation. I have no theology for this. But I genuinely think, like, if heaven's going to be that amazing, it's going to feel 44 where I am, and it's going to feel 90 where you are. Right? I can, I can work with that. We just kind of look kind of funny if I'm wearing a coat and you're not. But anyway, it's all right. The garden was cool. It was the cool of the day. I mean, I'm just saying. But uh, March 3rd and 4th, guys, we're going to Lion King. Same schedule as last time. Get dinner before you come out there. Service will start at 7 this year. Like everything, the price did go up a little bit. It's 75 instead of 65 $75, but that covers everything. Housing, food. We ate good last time. We'll eat good again. <coughs> That's March 3rd and 4th, so put that on your calendar. Registration will open in the next week or so. And um, this time our Covington campus is going to be joining us. It's going to be all three tabernacles going to be getting together. And uh, you might not know him, but Dr. Ron Johnson from Living Stones Church will be with us. And he's probably the smartest person I know. So it's okay. But um, it's going to be a great time. And then as Rhonda said earlier, we've got the family meeting, which you guys would have called the vision night or vision meeting before. I just like to call it a family meeting because that's where we're family. We're going to do family business at family meeting and get excited about what God's going to do with the family. Amen. So be here this Thursday. If this is your church, I want you to be here. If it's not your church and you want to make it your church, you can come. If it's not your church and you just want to come hang out, come hang out. But if this is your church where you fellowship, I want you to be here Thursday. We're going to be laying out stuff for the year and kind of give you the vision of what God's going to do. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm excited to preach to you this morning the final sermon of our Reset series. <coughs> and I was talking to a couple of y'all in the lobby. But this message here has been... Uh, ripping me to pieces, so I'm going to just warn you all ahead of time. But last summer, I went on a vacation, and it was in the, in the right at the end of school. It was right at the end of May, and I love the beach. I know I don't like the heat, but I love the beach. It's very strange, I know. But, and we had this nice little condo. We were getting away, and we had like a five-day trip booked. I'm like, boom, this is going to be awesome. Load up the kids and everybody. We drive out there. Condo is gorgeous or whatever. We get out there, and it's great. And I'm all excited, and I'm driving. And one of my favorite things to do on the planet, this is not a lie, my brother Cody is the same way. I love to get on I-10, drive through Slidell, and take the I-10 east exit that says Bay St. Louis and know that I'm driving for like three hours. Like there is a joy that just overwhelms my soul when I make that turn. If I'm driving that way for another reason, I kind of get depressed. 
Like in a couple weeks, I got a conference in Gulfport, and I'm already like, this is it's just not fair. I gotta find another route to take to get there, so I ain't gonna get on that interstate. But I just get so excited, and so I'm driving excited, and I got my little beach music on. I'm, I mean, it's gonna be good. I got my chair, I got my glass bottle, Dr. Peppers. We're gonna have revival on the beach. It's gonna be amazing. And I get there, and it rains. The first day, the second day, the third day faked us out. It was all sunny in the morning. We get the kids down, and there it comes again. The fourth day, our last day, looks like it's going to be gorgeous. We had a absolutely, that's another story, another time about that story, but it was a crazy little day on the beach. And Caitlin comes in the room that morning before the craziness. It was Sunday morning. She comes in. We were supposed to go home on Tuesday morning, so it's, we got one more day after this. I'm sorry. And, <coughs> and she comes in and in the, in, the, in the bedroom, and she closes the door, and she looks at me, and she says, what is your problem? And I said, what are you talking about? She's like, you've been miserable since you got here. What's the problem? She's like, I've, like, tried to keep the kids from you. I've tried to let you sleep, try to let you, like, whatever. Like, you've been on edge since we got here. What is the problem? And I didn't realize it. But my expectations for the trip were so high. My outlook, because I love the beach so much, was so high that when the trip, what was in front of me, didn't match the outlook and the perspective that I had, it changed who I was as a person. This morning, I'm talking about reset your outlook. Now, if you haven't been here, let me recap. First, we did reset your perspective. Then it was reset your habits. Then it was reset your lifestyle. And then this morning is reset your outlook. Pray with me real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and for your presence. God, I ask that you would allow me to preach this from your own heart. Let none of my opinion or theology come out. I pray, God, that you'd keep the mirror held up right in front of my face this morning. So as I'm preaching to them, I'm preaching to me. Father, let this truth go fall on good ground and good soil. And let us leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. amen. Man, I would imagine that if you've been serving Jesus for any length of time, you have had a moment where you have had expectation for one thing, and then when said thing happened, it did not meet your expectation, right? <coughs> and I want to let you know, we've, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, I'm so excited about this, and I'm also in pain from this message too, so this is a very strange moment, but go to Second Kings chapter 6 real quick, let me just follow my notes, if I do follow my notes, I won't get crazy. 2 Kings 6, 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of the horses, chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, to give you the recap, Elisha is a prophet, and he is, he is prophetically seeing what the king of Syria's plans are against the nation of Israel. And so he's going and telling the king, hey, Syria's going to attack you here. And so the king goes and meets the attack. And this is happening, and the king of Syria doesn't know why the Israelites keep knowing his plans. He thinks he has a plant or like a, like a double agent in his crew. And he finds out that, no, somebody says, no, there's this prophet in Israel, and he knows the very words you say in your bedroom. And so he sends an army, say an army, an entire army to surround the city where Elisha is. Now, I've told you before, I grew up in church, so I don't have like this crazy past, right? But there was one time, <clears throat> one time, 
that they, I was a junior in high school. I had a girlfriend. Say he had a girlfriend. I had a girlfriend at the time, right? But there was this freshman at the school who had a crush on me, and she really liked me, and she had a boyfriend, which is not cool, right? Well, the boyfriend told his cousins, and I'm at a dance one night, and six guys from St. Bernard High come to jump me. And I don't even know. And a buddy of mine, ironically, Mike Fernandez, who, like, we weren't even really friends. We were from the same youth group. He, like, you remember when you was in high school and you was dancing, right? And you could, like, walk while you're dancing? Right? You, like, go talk to this person. Well, we go talk to this person there. Well, Mike and his date, like, walk over to me. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know. There's, like, six guys here to jump you. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, who? He's like, I don't know. I'm just telling you. I'm like, okay. So then he hops away like this. So I go tell a friend of mine, I'm like, hey, there's apparently six guys here to jump me. He's like, from where? I'm like, from St. Bernard. He's like, six guys from a different high school come to your high school dance to jump you. I feel like they could have planned this a little better, right? Like six on a hundred. I don't understand, like, what the deal is here. But I remember walking out into the lobby, and sure enough, there were six guys. Because I've never been in a fight, but I was ready to go for one. If this is going to happen, let's just do it and see what happens, right? I'm not going to back away from it. So I just go walking up in the front, and I realize there surely are. There's six people. And I'm like, huh, all right. God has always given me like a six-foot-two and above friend, so he was with me. And we ended up solving the situation or whatever. And I'm like, listen, I will fight him if you need me to. I ain't fighting all six of y'all. That's stupid. That's a, and the dude didn't want to fight me. I said, I'll fight you one-on-one right now. He's like, I don't want that. I'm like, of course you don't. Get out of here. And they left. But anyway, I know what it's like to be under siege. Have you ever been under siege? You ever felt under siege, like spiritually? Well, Elisha here <clears throat> is surrounded. And, uh, and the, the prophet goes out and he sees the army and he panics and he goes inside and he tells Elisha, hey, there's a problem. You know, we, we're getting attacked. And he prays, open his eyes, and he sees. Now, this is a little bit of <clears throat> what we would call uh, eisegesis, where I'm inserting a thought, which is technically wrong. But I want you to hear me out on this because I genuinely think there's truth to it. I would imagine, because this servant knows the history of Israel. He knows the Red Sea. He knows David and Goliath. He knows the earth swallowing up different people. Thank you so much. He knows all these stories. And so when he opens his eyes and he sees the hills covered with the army of the Lord with chariots and fire and all that kind of stuff, I guarantee you my man's like, huh, we about to see a slaughter. Like, this is about to be epic. Like, I'm about to witness a Red Sea experience. I'm about to watch these fiery angels absolutely annihilate these people for me. And it's going to be great. And he sat there, and he's like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be fantastic. It's not what happened. He had his expectations. He thought one thing and thought another. See, your outlook determines everything. Everything. For example, if you came up to me right now and offered me a week, seven days, paid, all expenses paid, travel included, to Disney World, I'm probably not going to be happy with you. Because my outlook on Disney is that I literally would rather have medical procedures without anesthesia than go to Disney World. I have... I like, I just, me and Disney don't get along. Last time I went was for four hours attached to a youth event. 
And I remember looking at Melanie Tucker, who when you say the word or in front of him, not Orlando, or, she automatically thinks Orlando, which directly translates Disney. She's like the biggest Disney fan I know. So she was at Disney. I told her, I said, listen, I said, y'all go have fun. I'm going to sit right here in this chair. I'm going to eat a cinnamon roll and a Coke, and I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I ain't doing the crowd. I put my phone up, watched the AFC championship game, and that was it. I was done. I was done with Disney. I was done. You give me all my – why? Not because Disney isn't fun. Not because Disney isn't amazing, but my outlook on Disney sets everything else. Now, you give me an all-expense-paid trip to the beach, my outlook is through the roof because I love the beach. And my outlook determines everything. There are so many people who are living with an outlook that doesn't match the kingdom. And we're going to get into this because, because see, what, the, what you don't realize is I've taught this entire series in reverse. The whole thing's been taught backwards to get to this. This is the most important message of the series, so I don't want to screw it up. But it's so important for you to understand that your outlook dictates your expectations. Your outlook dictates your expectations. If you expect low from people, you're going to get low from people. If you expect low from God or poorly from God, you're going to get low from God. If you expect poorly from yourself, you're going to get poor results from yourself. Why? Because you are looking and seeing something. If you talk to anybody who has ever been successful, I'm talking worldly success, ever been successful, they will all say, most of them, they will, I'll say they'll all say, that there was some intentionality involved in it. Other than the people who, like, inherited $10 million, right? People who started from something and became something else, right? They will say that there was an intentionality into what they did that led to their success. Anybody who's lost a bunch of weight will say there was an intentionality into what I'm doing that produced the results I had. What that is is that is an outlook change. And as Christians, we need to have our outlook changed. And what I'm going to ask you to do as a church is I'm going to ask you to do some type of fast this week. Whether a complete fast, one day a meal, two meals a day, uh, just water, Daniel fast, whatever it is. Do some type of fast this week. Don Trell's so upset. <laughs> something. Something. My man been fasting since November. I don't know. But I want you to ask God to reset your outlook. To reset your outlook. Now, I want to show you how he does this. Because I'm resetting your outlook for 2023 and beyond. See, me and my wife, sometimes we get in disagreements. Because when you ask me about the future, you start talking. About, I'm already in like 2045 half the time. Like, in prayer this week, you know, like in prayer, I was praying about 2024 for the churches. And we, I ain't even told the churches what's happened in 2023 yet. And I'm already praying about 2024. Why? Because the kingdom of God is always advancing. And I don't want to miss an order six months in advance and screw up when I need to make a turn. So I'm always thinking ahead. But other people are like, no, but we got to get through Monday. Because Monday's right in front of us. And that's why my wife and I work so great together. It's just sometimes it's a little bumpy figuring out how we're going to work together. Because I'm like, yeah, but this. And she's like, yeah, but this. I'm like, yeah, but you got to see this. Yeah, but you got to see this. And what I'm saying this morning is that when we let God set the outlook, everything else falls into place. But how does he do that? Well, the first thing this morning 
is his will sets the outlook. His will sets the outlook. This one, this is the one right here. Y'all know which one's been, been hitting on me? It's this point right here, this dumb point right here. Oh. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all know what word it doesn't say right there? It doesn't say our Savior, Jesus Christ. It does other times. It doesn't say our healer, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say our deliverer, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say our friend, who, what he is. It doesn't say our counselor, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say our anything but Lord, right? It says our Lord, Jesus Christ. Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand <clears throat> and rejoice in the hope. Of the glory of God. The word Lord in this verse is kurios, which is supreme authority. Controller, here's the line. He to whom a person belongs, about which he has the power of deciding. Basically, he's the boss. He's the boss. And, and, and if, if, if he sets the outlook, if we're truly a believer in Jesus, See, this is where we get messed up, right? Because we sing the songs and we post the posts and we go to the services and we do all the things. But the moment that his will and our will collide, most of the time we go our will. Most of the time we do. And then we look back and wonder why we're not seeing God do supernatural things. God doesn't do supernatural things according to your will, to my will. He does supernatural things according to his will. So in this particular moment, we're talking about how his, his, his will sets the outlook. God is interested in leading you in the purpose and plan he designed for you, not leading you into the purpose and plan you designed for yourself. And what we have to understand is that if we are his, then he should be the one setting the outlook. For example, there was this, this phase in Shalmet a couple years ago when whenever the crew would, the crew, really any crew would get together. This topic of conversation would come up of where do you want to live? And some would say the North Shore. Some would say the parish. And then there'd be this like rivalry of like, why are you going to leave the parish if you're going to church or the parish? Man, I don't understand. And then some people are like, Honda, where are you going to live in the parish? They even got a, like a target. Whatever. I don't know. And I did this biz back and forth. Y'all ain't got no restaurants. Y'all got too many restaurants. Like just, just back and forth. And I remember one time I got annoyed by it. And this one girl says, man, if it was up to me, I would, I would live in Nashville, Tennessee. I said, are you ask God? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I am not living in where Chris would want to live. But the truth is, I don't know where Chris would want to live. I've never even thought about it. Because Acts 17, 26 says that he has determined the times and places of which they should live. And so I don't get to pick where I live. He's Lord. If he decides that Chris has to go live in New York City, I'm going to be really, 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 really angry. But I'll go because he's Lord. But he has to set the outlook. He's the one that does it. Well, Pastor Chris, how do I know that? I seek him. 
Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Seek the kingdom, what he's about, what his priorities are, what he's dreaming about, what he's crying about, what he's hurting about. Seek those things and the righteousness, which is the lifestyle that's attached to people who are part of the kingdom, right? That's the culture of the kingdom. That's the mannerisms of the kingdom. Let's seek the kingdom and, and all these things will be added. When I seek the kingdom first, I'm seeking after Jesus. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to see? What do you want my outlook to be? Well, I don't know what I'm called to do. Ask him what you're looking towards. That's what a calling is. See, we, we don't like to have that. I'm called to do men's ministry. How are you preparing yourself to do men's ministry right now? I'm called to pastor a church. How are you preparing to pastor a church? I'm called to open a business. How are you preparing yourself to open a business? Is that the outlook? I met somebody one time. They told me they was called to be a missionary to Japan. I said, konnichiwa. <laughs> they said, what? I said, how in the world do I know how to say hello in Japanese and you don't if you call to Japan? I said, I know one word. It's more than you. And you're the one that says you called to do missionary work in Japan. Apparently, you're not called because I know when I got called, my life changed. Everything about me changed. I thought different. I talked different. I planned different. Everything about my life shifted when that call punched me in the face. Standing in Nashville, Tennessee, in the Marriott Hotel, looking at this gorgeous chandelier, and I didn't care that I was around everybody who would ever do anything for Christian music in the center of all of it, and all I could think about was teenagers in St. Bernard Parish. I didn't care anymore about writing songs. I didn't care about being some superstar because God called me to go back and be a youth pastor in a city I didn't want to live in. <clears throat> When he's Lord, he sets the outlook. We wonder why we don't know what God's plan is for him, because he's not Lord. He's just Savior. Lord, heal me. Set me free. All right, I want you to change this. Nah. Lord, Lord, I, I need you to work on my marriage. Okay, do this. Huh. Nope. She ain't worth that. Oh, fix your marriage. Do this. No, not. But the problem is, is Philippians 2 says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Savior. No. Healer. No. Deliver. Lord. There's going to come a day when every single person is going to recognize who's been in charge the whole time. I just would like to live my life now with that understanding instead of having to do it one day. I'd rather bow my knee willingly than have it forced. His will sets the outlook. Seek him. He's, he tells you in Jeremiah 20 and 11, for I know the plans I have for you. He has plans for you. The enemy has plans for you. When you're not pursuing his plans, you're inadvertently allowing the enemy's plans access into your life. Because the only plans that protect me from the enemy's plans are God's plans, not my own. To give you a hope and a future. His word, the second one, is his word Sets the expectations. Oh, boy. There's something that is more dangerous than a poor outlook, and that's unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. When you go into something with a great outlook or a faith-filled outlook, and then those expectations aren't realized, all hope and life seems to be sucked out of the situation. But what I have also learned is that many times when I feel like God hasn't met my expectations, it wasn't that God didn't do what he was supposed to do. It's that my outlook was incorrect. Yeah. 
because my outlook sets my expectations. I'm going to paraphrase the story. It takes a little while to read it. In John chapter 11, you can read the story of Lazarus. And we know the story where Jesus is away and he gets word that Lazarus has grown very sick. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they're begging him to come heal him. And he, he waits a couple days. And Lazarus dies. And see, Mary and Martha's outlook was that there is no way Jesus is going to let Lazarus die. It was unfathomable to them that he wouldn't come and heal him because how close they were. Like it did not comprehend to them. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, Martha meets him and she's upset with him. If you would have only been here, he wouldn't have died. You ever been mad at God? Where, where you expected something and, and it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. And then if you would have only done what I thought you should have done. Oh, Lord Jesus. God, if you would have done what I thought you were going to do, because I've seen you do for other people, and I expected that outcome in my situation. If you'd have done that, we wouldn't be in this situation. And Jesus walks up and he starts crying. And then Mary comes up and she's She's broken. And Jesus says, he's going to live again. And Mary says, of course, we're all going to live again at the resurrection. She didn't get what he was saying. And it says that Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. One thing you have to remember is this. It's a sentiment God taught this series in reverse. So I taught perspective, which is how I see what's right in front of me. My perspective will dictate my habits because if I see something right in front of me and I want to change something right in front of me, I'm going to start doing things based upon what's in front of me. And then if I do something long enough in a habit, it's going to become a lifestyle. And eventually, when, when I see something a certain way, my habits reflect how I see it. My lifestyle now is based upon what I see. My outlook is going to be dictated by all of this, which means my outlook is dictated by what's right in front of me. When that's not how the kingdom works. You know why I know that? Because God doesn't operate in time. He operates and exists outside of time. The best way I've ever heard it explained is if you looked at, a, at, the, at the page of my Bible, and you looked at the first word over here and the, the last word on the bottom of this page, as moments in time, he sees them all at the same time happening. Because he's outside of time. So God sees, let there be light, it is finished, and your birthday, all at the same time. Because he's outside of time. So that's why God doesn't work with what's in front of you. God doesn't lead your life by your perspective. He wants to lead your life by your outlook. Because see, when he changes my outlook, when I know that I'm headed this way, I know what my lifestyle should look like to be there. And when I know what my lifestyle is supposed to be like, I will set my habits according to my lifestyle. And when I have an outlook that's godly, with a lifestyle that reflects righteousness, with habits that are day in and day out working towards a goal, my perspective is going to be significantly different regardless of what comes my way. But seeing in this position, all Mary and Martha could see was the perspective. And their expectations were messed up because Lazarus is sick. And, and because we spent so much time with Jesus and we've done all the things and our lifestyle was so ugly that he's got to heal him. 
He's got to do what I think it should be from this moment, from my moment in time, from, from my pain and my grief. He, I, he should do exactly what I think he should do. When Jesus was thinking in the exact opposite, oh, if you only knew what I'm about to do. If you only knew what I'm going to do five years from now, if you only knew what it's going to be like ten years from now, you would realize that what you're feeling in the moment is completely and totally irrelevant. You won't even remember it. Even if I ask you about it, you won't remember it. But we live so much by our perspective. We live so much what is right in front of us, which if you remember from that message, I said it's supernatural. God has to change how you see what's in front of you because you can't. How does he do that? By giving you an outlook. By giving you an outlook. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. If the enemy can keep us living from our perspective, he will keep us in a cycle of hurt, of bondage, of addiction, because my perspective is what matters, what's right in front of me. I know, God, you've called me to preach, but I can't pay my bills. And all I see is I'm tired of living in lack. All I see is I'm tired of struggling. All I'm seeing is I'm, I'm embarrassed. But, but there's no thought of, wait, let me, go, let me go to where God's bringing me. If I truly trust that he's Lord, if I truly trust that he's in charge, let me go where God's bringing me and work this way, and then my perspective will shift. But instead, I can't see what's right in front. All I see is what's right in front of me. And I stay in a cycle of bondage, and I stay in a cycle of discouragement. And you have met people like that that can't get out of their own way? Because it's this constant cycle because they, they're living reactive lives. They're living in a reaction-based outlook or a reaction-based mindset that whatever happens to me dictates how I live. Whatever happens to me dictates how I feel and how I think and how I talk. And there have been so many times that I have found myself in a position of leadership, leading reactionary leading from a place of, well, this keeps happening, and this keeps happening, and this keeps happening. And as soon as the devil realizes that he can keep you chasing your own tail, he's going to just keep throwing random junk at you to keep you chasing your own tail. Because the number one fear of the enemy, other than you spending eternity with Jesus, is you walking in your purpose. Because when you walk in your purpose, that many more people spend eternity with Jesus. So if he can keep you distracted and occupied with foolishness right in front of you right now. You ever seen a dog chase a flashlight? That's what many Christians, we walk into church and we dizzy and we distracted and we messed up and we bump into each other and then we get mad at each other because you bumped into me while I was chasing myself. <laughs> and we just go round and round and round and round and round and round because we're living with what's right in front of us. See, and then, oh my goodness, if the enemy can keep us living like this, he begins to rob us of hope because it just never goes my way. It just never, just never works. And then, if it never works, why do you believe in him? If it never works, why are you trusting him? If it never works, why are you tithing? If it never works, why are you being submitted to authority? If it never works, why do you attend the church? If it never works, why aren't you drinking? If it never works, why aren't you smoking? If it never works, why aren't you going back to the club? If it never works. See, I've said this for so many years, and Rap Reader Hermit say it forever. The first six months, that it may be a little different for the adults, but the first six months that you're a Christian, the enemy's whole goal was to get you being who you were before you got saved. Once you've made it six months, he switches his strategy, and he wants to do one or two things. He wants you to get hurt by somebody in church, or he wants you to have unmet expectations from God. 
Because if those, if he can get those two things to happen, you will by default end up back who you used to be. You didn't even realize it. Many people are living with hope deferred due to unmet expectations. I don't have a whole lot of time to get into the unmet expectations, but I want to speak to you about moving forward this morning. Instead of living from my perspective, I need to seek God for his outlook. I need to seek him for his plans. Sometimes I have plans of my own that I think are the Lord's, but I have to submit them to him too. Commit your plans to the Lord and they shall succeed. For the man determines the plans of his heart, but the Lord determines how they fall. When Jesus in his lordship sets the outlook, then the word sets my expectations. I'm going to give you three things this morning real quick that he is always looking to do. Always. Number one is get the glory. He is always looking to get the glory. I'm going to show you how he was in, these, in the two stories we talked about. Always get the glory. Two, he's always looking to save the lost, which is get the glory. And number three, he's always looking to reveal himself. He's all, like, like, I need you to understand this. He is always looking to do these things. Some situations do them all. Some situations do one or two. But he is always looking to do these things. So hear me out. Remember, he's Lord. He says the outlook. He's in charge of our lives, right? When that diagnosis comes in, when the marriage problem shows up, when the kid problem shows up, when the world's falling apart and we got to wear masks and can't go nowhere, when the economy's falling, when you lose your job, when your friends lie about you, this, this, he's always trying to get the glory. He's always looking to save the lost, and he's always trying to reveal himself. How do I know this? Oh, let me show you. The story of Lazarus, Jesus had already proved himself as authority over sickness. He'd already proved himself by being able to raise the dead. But you know what he hadn't shown yet? That he understood what grief was. So the only way to show that he understands grief is he has to walk through grief. And to walk through grief, he has to let his friend die. See, now when he walks into the scene, they're going to get to see a different side of Jesus that they didn't see the last time he raised somebody from the dead. The last time he raised somebody from the dead, it was a mother in a funeral procession with her son that was dead. And he stops the procession, walks up and says, this ain't going to work. No, we can't have you losing your son, your only son. You got to let him get up. That was a defiance to what the enemy had done to that family. See, this is totally different. See, we, hadn't, we have not seen Jesus grieve yet. We have not seen Jesus with a broken heart yet. We have not seen Jesus do these things. Can you imagine what Christianity would be like if there was no John eleven thirty five? 35, Jesus wept? How, how can you sit across the table from somebody who just buried their son, just buried their wife, and say Jesus gets it if there's no John 11? If there's no, 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 Jesus did it. One of his best friends died, and Jesus wept. And what the part that has always blown my mind about this story and with John 11 is that Jesus knows he's about to get up, and he still wept. Because the Hebrews says that we have a great high priest who is not unfamiliar with our sufferings, yet in all ways was tempted and remains blameless. So he walked through grief on purpose. 
this situation was set up to reveal a side of God that he had, that nobody had ever seen before. Then to get the glory, <clears throat> I always thought this was kind of interesting. Lazarus was dead for how many days? Four. How many days was he going to stay in? Three. Jesus knew if I can get him up in four, I get myself up in three. And so we see this here. Now, if you go back to 2 Kings, God had already revealed himself as being able to destroy entire armies in remarkable fashion. Whether it's the Red Sea swallowing them, whether it's the earth opening up, whether it's all kind of crazy factors. But you know what he had never done? He had never showed that he was so powerful that he could literally toy with the entire opposition. See, it would have been easy for God to let like fire fall from heaven or a bunch of lions come out and eat the soldiers or the chariots on the mountain just kill them. That would have taken seconds. But he had already done that. No, what he does is he allows Elisha, the man they're looking for, to walk out in front of them and tell the army, the man you're looking for is not here. Let me show you where he is. And the army follows the man they're looking for, and the man they're looking for leads them into captivity. God's sitting back and saying, your enemies are so not even a blip on my radar that I can cause them to be led into captivity by the very thing they came to destroy. But see, that's revealing himself. We already knew, y'all going to catch this, we already knew that he could destroy armies with the Red Sea. But now I've seen that he can literally completely hoodwink an entire army and toy with them. Pastor Chris, why am I going through this again? Because he's already shown you one way to get out of it. Disciples, how many times was Jesus in a storm with the boat? Twice. Why? Well, the first time, he showed that he had authority over the winds and the waves by calming it. Second time he did it to show Peter he did too. But if they don't go through the storm again, they don't get to see it. See, now the outlook was changed. See, now the next time that, that the servant walks into a situation, his outlook is like, huh, God's about to do something enormous here because he's got a plan for Elisha. And I get to watch that, that last time, last time he didn't just like have the Red Sea swallow him. Last time he, 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 we, he blinded him and we let him into captivity. I don't know what he's about to do, but I know he's going to do something because he's so much further above all of this. The expectations change. When I realize what he's doing, when I look at a situation and say, I don't know what's about to happen, but he's about to get the glory. And what's about to happen, somebody about to get saved. And what's about to happen, I'm about to see him in a new way. Do you realize that the God that we serve, that, that loves us in a way that is beyond comprehension, not only does he want to save you and spend time with you, but he wants to show you different sides of himself. Repeatedly, he wants to show you new things about who he is in different ways. And how he does that is through what you walk through. But when my outlook is that God, for me, my outlook is that God has called me to be, to be a pastor who sends out pastors and has a regional impact and all these different things I can give you, you know, forever. All the things that I believe he's called me to do. That's the outlook. So now my expectations are set by the outlook that says, I know that at some point in time, I'm a pastor, a multicultural, multi-generational disciple-making monster. I know for a fact that because of the ministry God's going to do in St. Bernard Parish, the, the, the stronghold of racism is going to be broken over that city. The reputation is going to change over that city. I know we're going to be sending out pastors. I know we're going to be planting churches. I know we're going to be sending missionaries across the world, having orphanages in other continents. I know all of these things because it's the outlook that God has given me. And because of the outlook, 
my, my, my lifestyle says, well, I better start learning how to manage money. I better start learning how to train leaders. I better start learning how to, how to figure out what's the best way to respond to natural disasters. And because of that, my habits change. Well, if I got to learn to save money, I better start saving money. I better start, I better not just buy everybody everything every time I got to eat. I probably can't do that. You know what I'm saying? I just want to buy everybody food all the time. But I can't. Why? Because that's one meal. If I do that 10 times, that's a plane ticket to Africa that I can no longer buy. And when I do all of those things, my perspective changes. When I sit down at the table and my heart says, man, I want to buy this meal. But my, my habit says I can't because my lifestyle is different because of my outlook. That's why you got to have the right outlook. It'll change your perspective. Pastor Chris, I have such a hard time making the hard decisions because you're making them from your perspective. I have a hard time saying no because you're looking at your perspective. Oh, get a hold of the outlook. Get a hold of what you're called to do. And watch how easy it is. So the first thing we see is that his word sets, I mean, the first thing is his will sets the outlook. His word sets the expectation. And the third thing is his ways select the people. His ways select the people. Elisha <clears throat> takes the army and leads them to Samaria. Now, I've kind of, because y'all know when I read the Bible, I'm like, I, I want to know why. I have all kind of questions. Why Samaria? Why not somewhere else? Why well, was it Samaria? I don't have an exact answer for this, but I can tell you one thing. Samaria must have been ready for battle. Because if God tells Elijah to lead an army to Samaria, Samaria must be in a position to handle what's about to come. Right? God's not going to send you something you can't handle as far as capacity-wise. He's not going to ask you tomorrow to pastor a 2,000-member church. He's not going to do that to you. But his word, I mean, his, his ways select the people. How he operates selects the people. What do I mean by that? Well, y'all know that scripture in 1 Corinthians 6 that we love to quote until we like somebody that ain't saved. You know what I'm talking about, that, that verse? Where, Do not be unequally yoked, right? When I was a youth pastor, that is the number one least popular verse of scripture for youth ministry, period. Don't be unequally yoked. But they're cute. I don't care. But they might get saved. I don't care. The Bible. Well, Pastor Chris, you did it. I wasn't saved. I was faking it. I'd have went to hell if I died. My mama disagrees, but she don't know. <laughs> but see, when I got an outlook that says I'm called to own a business that funds orphanages in different countries, I can't run with a crew that's only worried about Friday and Saturday. See, when my outlook says I'm called to pastor a church, that outlook says I can't be friends with people who gossip all the time. When, when, when the outlook says that I need to pastor a church and I got to get mentored, I got to get under somebody who's doing it that I can respect, that means I got to be careful who I give access into my life. That's the outlook. But if I'm only in the perspective, and it's Friday, and I want tacos, my perspective says, let me send a text out and see who wants to get tacos. And I just get tacos. No thought about tomorrow. No thought about the next week. No thought about the next month. No thought about the next year. Just right now. Living in the moment. YOLO. Whatever. Woo! That's it. Right here, right now. Living my best life. 
No, you're not. This is why life groups are so important. Because his ways select the people. And yeah, as Rana said, we're making some changes to the life groups. You know why? Let's go back to them three points. Because he's always looking to get the glory. He's always looking to win the loss. And he's always looking to reveal himself. And to do that, we have to be prepared for it. But if I walk in to, I'm going to just go here. If I walk into Thursday night feeling some kind of way about potential life group changes, that's my perspective. My perspective, well, I don't like what they're doing. Then my habit's going to change. I ain't going to go. Then my lifestyle's going to change because I'm no longer accountable. I'm no longer surrounded by people who are going to lift me up. And then my outlook's no longer going to be what it should be. I'm no longer walking towards my purpose. I'm walking back into bondage. When, when I walk into that meeting with the outlook that God's looking to get glory from my life because I'm called to do whatever, then my lifestyle is, well, I know that if I'm going to do that, i got to live a certain way. Then the habits say i got to be in group. Then perspectives, it don't matter what they tell me I'm going. Y'all understand what I'm saying? See, this is why it's so important to make sure that we're living with the right thing in mind. Because I'm telling you right now, one of the things I struggle with is not living towards the outlook. My biggest struggle is not letting my perspective set my outlook. That's me. I can read the word. I can make plans, y'all. I can tell y'all how we can plant 20 churches in the next five years. I could give you strategies and plans and vision and scripture and go. I mean, whoo, it's fun. It's a blast. Give me a whiteboard. Get some coffee. We're going to take over the world. <laughs> Ask Rhonda Nick. We sat in front of a whiteboard for six and a half hours last week. Don't try me. I love me a whiteboard and coffee. For like four cups of coffee. I don't know. I was zinging. I was going for it. But none of that matters if it's not his. If it's not his outlook, it don't matter. So this morning you may be here, and you may not have a relationship with him at all. If you have no relationship with him, he can't set your outlook. With every head bowed this morning. Every head bowed. If you're here and you can say, Pastor Chris, I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm actually going to do something a little different. I'm not going to make a general call this morning. Here's what I'm going to do. You keep your eyes closed. You may be here. You may be struggling to live. You're living from perspective. What's right in front of you, the pain that's right in front of you, the hardship that's right in front of you, the regret that's right in front of you, the, the problems that are right in front of you, the I, I don't want this to be this way right in front of you. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to lay all of that down. I'm not saying don't acknowledge it. I'm not saying don't say it's not real. I'm not saying don't say this is the way I feel, but I'm saying to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. 